Welcome once again to Cinemaholics, where we review the biggest and best films coming to theaters and streaming online. We're not just fans, we're not just critics, we are Cinemaholics. I'm your host, John Agurney, from the Internet California, and on the show today, we have from the Internet Pennsylvania, he's a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend, but he also writes about life itself on Twitter. It's Will Ashton. Oh, I see what you did there. That's Hello. right. <laughs> we're talking about life itself later in the show. Eventually, yeah. And from the broadband basement, he is our sound producer and casual moviegoer with a heart of fool's gold. It's Soundmaster Maverick Hines. <laughs> a heart of fool's gold. <laughs> All right. Yeah, you like that one. I was <laughs> I was kind of expecting like yelling, screaming. Uh, we got. I'm too tired to scream. <laughs> this week we have our regular rep stallion Maverick Hines on the show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, no, Will Ashton, you were supposed to be the bad boy of the group. Remember? Oh, I see. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, okay, so this week we are reviewing The House with a Clock in Its Walls, directed by Eli Roth. That's going to be our feature review today. In mini-reviews, we've got quite a few exciting movies to talk about. Uh, Will has a, an inch. There's a movie Will's going to be talking about called Mandy that I cannot wait to hear your thoughts on. We're also going to be talking Assassination Nation, Life Itself, and maybe a couple other surprises here and there. But we're going to start off with Off Topics first. Uh, our first one. Our Q&A episode is finally coming out. We waited because we have a crossover episode with Anyway, That's All I Got. Uh, so your Cinemaholics feed may have put out a uh, franchise breakdown of the Predator franchise. Uh, that of uh, the Predator movies said franchise to us. Um, so that's Anyway, That's All I Got. That's our spinoff podcast hosted by Sam Noland. Enjoy the episode. Those guys had a blast talking about all of the Predator movies. Uh, even the AVP ones, and uh, there was this really spirited debate in the early goings between uh, uh, two of the hosts about whether or not the first Predator, like, there was just a lot of disagreement over, like, how good that movie is. I thought it was pretty fascinating, so that's out right now, and you can check it out. Um, also, our Q&A episode is coming out this week, so you're going to be hearing us answer all of your questions. Uh, that also is a really fun episode that Sam Nolan was on as well. And uh, we should be releasing that in the next couple of days, depending on when you're listening to this. Uh, speaking of, so we are now we now have our own YouTube channel. So if you prefer listening to Cinemaholics with YouTube, we, we got great news for you. Uh, Cinemaholics is now on YouTube. You can go check that out and subscribe. Uh, we're going to be putting full episodes on there. Plus, we decided, uh, you know, it's YouTube, so we have a chance to kind of do excerpts of episodes. So one of the first ones we put out was... Uh, an excerpt of Will Ashton reviewing The Snowman uh, from an episode we did last October. It was our Only the Brave episode, and it's just 10 minutes of Will Ashton talking about The Snowman, that movie with Michael Fassbender. And, uh, Will, you re-listened to that episode, and what did you think hearing it back? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I thought I was angrier when I recorded it, but I guess I was just more, like, confused as to how that was a movie, that had all these talented people. Yeah, you sounded and baffled. It, yeah, I, I, it was an interesting look back, certainly, and I hope people enjoy listening to that little ramble of mine. <laughs> it is pretty good. It's a, it's a good breakdown. It was a good review. Um, okay, also, we want to thank our latest patron, uh, Francisco. Thank you for donating to Cinemaholics. Uh, if you want to be a patron of Cinemaholics, just check out the show notes, uh, and you can see a link right there to our Patreon, um, and you can get cool stuff that way. Uh, also, we have a new bonus episode series coming out. 
Um, so really excited to announce this. Uh, we are trying to do more interviews. We're trying to do more like conversations with guests. Uh, it's very difficult because of scheduling. So one thing that we decided to start trying to do is uh, what we're calling for now, uh, happy hour. Uh, Cinemaholics happy hour is like roughly an hour conversation where just one of us talks to uh, a really cool guest. So we, our first happy hour episode is going to be our bonus for next week. So after the Q&A episode, we'll talk more about that next week uh, on our next to you know let you know what we're doing for that. But it, it's a really good conversation that uh, I had with Alicia Grosso. And so you're going to want to stick around for that. And uh, we want to do all kinds of fun things. We really want to have uh, Will Ashen sit down with Nicolas Cage and talk oh, about Nicolas Cage. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that, is, that is our most important episode we want to do yet. I just like the idea of we have a conversation at the end. We're just like, oh, we were recording? Oh, good. You guys can hear all about it. So hopefully that happens one day. It's only a matter of time. I think it's going to be yeah. fun. Uh, we also have a, a review that I want to read real quick. This one comes to us from uh, DeWitt, uh, who left us a review on Omni FM. Um, so I, I want to read it, and I, I sent it to you guys earlier. We, we haven't talked much about this, uh, the, about these thoughts, but uh, okay. So the review says, superb but subjective, uh, which I really appreciate. I think that's a good, good two words to put together. Um, I cannot believe I'm saying this, but I look forward to Monday when I can hear this podcast. It is well thought and articulate. The thing that makes this podcast different is it's got different views from different kinds of people. Will the critic who doesn't give in to popular obsession and tell you exactly what's on his mind, whether you love it or not. John, all around movie fan, who's mostly optimistic about movies and tries to find beauty even in the worst ones. Maverick, I had to copy that from the description, I think, to to spell your name correctly, Mm -hmm. Uh, but you nailed it. Do it. Um, the non-movie goer with a little knowledge about movies, uh, who's just learning about movies, I suppose. Now let's talk specifics. The reason, uh, that led me to say it's subjective, I guess, uh, art as a whole is subjective and I might hate what everybody seems to love, but after hearing you guys tear Ozark to pieces, which I don't think we really did. I just think that I was kind of mean to Ozark and nobody really responded. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just said, like, hey, I heard it's a good show. And you're like, no, I don't think it's a good show. <laughs> right, right. And Maverick wasn't even there. Um, yeah. I thought, uh, he goes on to say, I thought we shouldn't agree on all things, as is frequently witnessed between John and Will. I love how they take comments seriously and continuously try to improve themselves. I also love how they break a movie and examine the characters, the cinematography, the script, the cast, and all of their things. And it's refreshing to hear their views on the featured reviews. I also love their news segment and movies coming up next week. What I do not like. Here we go. Here's the fun stuff. Okay. I know they have to remain unbiased, but sometimes it doesn't hurt to hear them rate a movie A or A+, especially Will Ashton, whose ratings never pass mostly C or B, which personally, Will, I consider this a, a feature, not a bug, but that's just me. Um, well, yeah, I have, a, I have an answer for this, but keep going. <laughs> Wolf, it is, yeah. Maybe there hasn't been a good movie in these two years, but I have yet to hear them praise the movie and give it an A. I'm personally not fond of the rushed conversations, usually toward the end. I don't know if they have a time limit or something, but it's never quite fun to hear them brushing up topics that deserve more time. Maybe it's a time management issue, but I've seen some of the podcasts stretch to nearly two hours. So either give it the time it requires or don't bring it up at all. That being said, and then it goes on to say being a patron of the podcast, do it. Thanks. Th- thanks for writing us. Like yeah, I want to. I want to bring that up and say like nobody has to be a patron. Nobody has to donate. Like we. Just, we're just glad you're listening. Um, and if you have the means mm-hmm. and it doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't infringe on your life to support us, then we welcome that. But uh, yeah, it's definitely hundred percent optional. But you had a response, Will Ash. Oh no, I was just gonna say. Well, for one, I mean, the grades are fairly subjective. I mean, I, I would say it's more about our conversation, our thoughts on the film that. 
I'm concerned about. I wouldn't focus too, too much on the grades themselves. But that said, I mean, I'm not really like a school teacher. Like, I'm not, I, when I give A's, they're very few and far between. Like, not talking A minuses, like straight A's or A pluses. Or, in my opinion, I like to like, keep those to a good degree because I feel like they really have to earn it, in my view. Like, they have to, like, warrant something more than just, like, I really, really like this film, or I think, I don't know. And sometimes, I mean, there are movies I give an A minus at first. I turn around and give an A. Um, I, I mean, I think Swiss Army Man's an example of that, but I don't think we ever talked about that one on the podcast. So, uh, I mean, I'm trying to think if there was an example last year, but I can't think of one off the top of my head. But yeah, it, it really just kind of fluctuates by the nature of how I feel about a film given time or just uh, where I am in that point in my life. But yeah, I would say just don't focus too, too much on the grades, but also stay tuned because that <laughs> might change later this episode. That's right. That's right. Um, and then I would say too, um, in terms of time management, sometimes it really just, just comes down to, we got schedules, we got things going on and we don't want to ramble on and on too much, but totally hear you. Uh, hopefully we managed to do a good job of, uh, not just brushing up topics too quickly, but we definitely want to just be respectful of people's time and yeah. we don't want people to look at the, the, the timestamps and, and be super intimidated. That said though, uh, we do our best to like separate all of our chapters out. So if you're listening to Cinemaholics and it feels like a very long episode, you can always check out the show notes. You can always check out the chapter markers and go right to what you want to listen to. Um, so, but of course we encourage you to listen to the, you know, the stream of consciousness of it all. I think listening to it linearly is fun as well, but yeah, I'm encouraged that he wants to hear us talk more. <laughs> I figure most people want us to talk less. So, he's gonna I mean, love. He's yeah. gonna love our happy hour episodes. Sure. Uh, the one we, the one I did yesterday, was uh, quite something else. That's a fun one. But we'll talk about that later. Um, last thing before we move on to our featured review, stick around for our movies coming up next week segment. Uh, speaking of which, toward the end of this episode, because we kind of have a, an interesting idea for what to feature review next week. And we're gonna need your input as always. Um, and also on that note. Thank you all of our patrons who helped us decide what we're reviewing this week. So that is another perk of being a patron. Um, we we put out a poll and the patrons voted on which movie they wanted us to feature review. It's between The House with a Clock in Its Walls and Life Itself. Uh, I think Maverick Hines, uh, I don't know if you're going to thank people for picking House with a Clock in Its Walls over Life Itself. Maybe we'll, we'll find out maybe in a second. You're, you're <laughs> grinning here. <laughs> Um, but uh, yeah, thanks again for voting in that. And with that, let's get right into our featured review of The House with a Clock in Its Walls. This is a new wide release from Universal. It's directed by horror filmmaker Eli Roth, surprisingly enough, in his first kind of family animated, not animated, family film, basically. Yeah, uh, first non, it's his first movie that's not a very hard R. Exactly. Working on yeah. NC-17, yeah. Uh, he's best known for films, Cabin Fever, the first two Hostel movies, The Green Inferno, Knock Knock, and Death Wish remake, which came out just this past year. Yeah. Uh, I'm personally, I don't like any of his movies except for the first Hostel. Uh, but that's just hmm. me. Um, the screenplay is written by Eric Kripke, and it's based on a children's classic book written by John Belairs that was ed- illustrated by Edward Gorey, a very, uh, very famous illustrator. Um, so, th- like I said, it's an adaptation of this kind of like horror book that was kind of like Harry Potter before Harry Potter ever came out. This was like the 70s. And it's kind of like a magical horror adventure. Uh, and it, it does kind of have like some of that Spielberg It's produced by Amblin Entertainment uh, with uh, the main character's name uh, is Lewis. He's played by Owen Vaccaro, a 10 year old who has to go live with his uncle and his uncle's best friend, um, Jack Black and Kate Blanchett. 
Um, and then also in this this film, Kyle MacLachlan, in an interesting role. So, uh, with that said, Will Ashton, what did you think of the house with the clock in its walls? Yeah, um, so I don't have um, a lot of warm feelings towards Eli Roth's filmography like you. I think the only one I really had any enjoyment for was Cabin Fever. Um, and I kind of like that as like a fun, schlocky take, uh, sort of in the vein of his uh, inspirations being uh, Peter Jackson's Dead Alive and Sam Raimi's Evil Dead. It was kind of like a mix of that, but a little cheekier and a little like kind of wilder. And it's not a good film, I don't think, but it's fun. It's definitely it, not his worst. Yeah, and I don't know. I wasn't crazy about the Hostile films or the Green Inferno or Knock Knock was, I guess, a little better, but not really? quite that good. <laughs> knock, I knock, mean, better knock, than knock Green has Inferno. Like, it is better than Green Inferno. Knock Knock get, does have one of the best monologues in any of his films. Uh, yeah, I mean, I do think, for what it's worth, I think Knock Knock was at least a little ahead of its time. I'll give it that. And I, I do like that uh, Keanu Reeves gave a performance that's kind of out of his normal wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I mean, I, I do, I do know there's a lot of people who say that's like one of the worst movies ever. And it's not good. I don't know if I'd go that far though. Um, but yeah, and then I Death Wish the remake. I thought it was just terrible. That was a, that's probably in, in my bottom five for the end of the year right now, uh, as far as 2018 movies are concerned. So yeah, I don't know. But I was actually kind of excited for House with a clock in its walls, not on its walls. I keep wanting to call it clock house with a clock on its walls but uh yeah i I was actually kind of digging the first trailer i thought it was had that fun ambient vibe that uh i've i've enjoyed and i mean i wasn't crazy about the goosebumps adaptation from a couple years ago so when i saw this trailer i was like oh okay this actually might be what i wanted that film to be kind of like a spooky horror light movie like an introductory horror film for younger audiences that would kind of uh get them you know, in the Halloween spirit and have some fun spirited performances from Jack Black and Kate Blanchett. And I did think I got those spirited performances. I do enjoy Jack Black and Kate Blanchett in this film. I think they have a good kind of wry chemistry together. Uh, or weird. I, or I don't know what the word is exactly I'm trying to say. But like they have a, kind of like a like a prickly kind of chemistry together that I actually enjoyed more than I did. And I wish they were in the movie together more than our central lead who... I don't, I don't know how I really feel about the main kid owen something uh i I think his character's name is lewis but yeah uh yeah um i he's okay i guess but he doesn't he he only occasionally captures that sense of wonder that i feel is central to this performance or central to this movie is being like full of this magic and wonder and that's the weird thing about this movie is that i feel like it was kind of missing that magic a lot like there's a lot of magic on screen but there like it feels kind of you know, like a clock, very clockwork, like very mechanical in its approach hmm. in a way that I found kind of distracting. Like, I don't know, there's something about like the earlier like Goonies and E.T. and uh, like Gremlins, like there's like that kind of extra magic to it where there's, there's like a texture of, to it. Yeah. I mean, they have that sense of danger, but there's also that playfulness, but it feels organic. Like it feels like it kind of just happens in that moment. Hmm. And this movie felt very like like they had like this checklist where they need to like accomplish all this stuff. And I guess they checked out the things, but it didn't really feel organic in that way that needed to be it needed to be to feel magical. And ultimately, I didn't hate it, but it did leave me fairly underwhelmed. Yeah, we should say, I mean, it's not strictly like a young adult, like YA kind of film, but at times it does feel like that. Yeah, Um, I think this film's biggest problem is Owen Vaccaro. Unfortunately, I I just don't think that that actor down the 11 year old. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just don't think I just don't think that performance works. Like I don't think it's there. 
Um, a, a big reason why the movie doesn't work, I think, is because you have Jack Black, you have Gabe Blanchett, who every every moment with them is gold. I mean, you just kind of like they sell it. They know the movie they're in, and it's like I don't know. They, they when you have such like good chemistry between those two characters, and then it doesn't happen in your lead. It it made me think a lot about like how Daniel Radcliffe and Harry Potter. You were able to like really instantly connect with that character. Like you just really. Like you feel the fact that he's an orphan in a situation where you feel for him and you empathize with him, but there's just something, I don't know if it's the writing, I don't know if it's the performance, I don't know if it's the way that Eli, Eli Roth directs kids, but then you look at the other character uh, who plays Tarby, um, that's Sonny Solchik, who is in the film mid-90s, he stars in that, that's getting some good reviews, and then he was also uh, Bob in Killing of a Sacred Deer, and oh yeah, you see him in like... There is like an effortless performance going on with him that mm-hmm. with some better writing could have been like one of the more interesting things about this movie is like the dynamic between him and Lewis. But at, at, at moments throughout this film, I was like, man, why can't he be the main character? Uh, I almost kind of wish we were seeing this from his perspective. And actually, this movie, weirdly enough, made me more excited to see mid 90s, which I know, Will, you've been kind of curious, like why I haven't been as sold on mid 90s. But I also haven't been very sold on this film. I like the marketing for it did not work on me at all. I will say, though, Will Ashen, to your credit, I think it, this was a little bit better than I was expecting. Maybe my expectations were so low because of the marketing. I, I didn't outright hate this or anything, and I, I think I'm a little bit closer to where you're at. But Maverick Hines, um, you bared this with me. We we, we saw this, uh, was it IMAX or Dolby? IMAX, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we got to see it on a pretty pretty cool screen. Um, did, yeah. that, did that help it? What, what was this? What was the experience for you? Do you love it? Is it your favorite movie? Yeah, I mean, you you got me all summed up. I don't think I need to say anything. <laughs> a plus. Uh, have a good week, guys. I'll see you next week. That's right. uh, uh, no, I think I'm. I, I had like I wouldn't say I had the highest expectations mm. in the world, but like I was kind of excited to see it. It looked fun, and uh, I think I'm more in line with Will in that guard. But like you like the, getting spooked. The, yeah, I like spooky movies, and it looked you know it looked like it was going to be a fun kind of whatever. You know, I wasn't expecting like best movie of the year or anything like that but i thought i was gonna have fun with it and um i think everything you guys have said so far has been pretty uh right on the 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 lead was just not doing it like the emotional scenes for him just didn't carry for me because they felt so so fake whenever like, he cried like, i was like the, the first dark time he part cries, of me i was like, like you deserve to be bullied dude yeah i was like yeah whatever happens at school oh, to you tomorrow that's why I feel bad for that, Will. I don't feel I don't feel proud of this emotion that I'm feeling right now. Uh, I just want to say that on Cinemaholics, we don't encourage bullying. Uh, I think we need to make that disclaimer. Well, yeah. Will, let's clarify even more. Will and I do not endorse bullying. Yeah. John Negroni is pull, uh, pro, pro bullying. bullying. I'm sorry, everyone. I would like to take this moment to thank my family for standing by me in this difficult time. Yeah. Well, it was fun doing Cinemaholics. Yeah. Uh, anyway, sorry. So, um, so yeah, I, I that for me like the first moment that he you know shows any emotion and is like crying and stuff, it, it felt like like a weird joke. Like I was like, oh, he's gonna stop and start laughing like he was messing with Jack Black because it felt so fake and it's just I, I don't know. I, it was hard for me to kind of be invested and whenever like he was just on screen kind of carrying the the plot, I would I did not care. Right? Like I think you guys said it with with Kate Blanchett and Jack Black, they had great chemistry and like I love Jack Black. He's he's a funny guy and and he has 
has a really good energy and i think he was a good casting for this kind of character like i think him interacting with blanchette in the house was really entertaining and like he was perfect for this kind of like wonky half yeah, warlock guy it works like, way better than him as rl stein for sure yeah like, yeah he was way miscast i thought as rl stein and i think that's one of the biggest reasons why i felt that movie didn't work even though i do and i know a lot of people like that movie but for me it wasn't that good yeah, and then Blanche Sorry, the same thing. I think she was a good support for him, and she was good on her own as well. She's this really strong, intelligent witch lady. <laughs> so um, I had a, a lot of enjoyment for times that they were on screen, but other than that, I wasn't super sold on the movie. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's a weird one because there, there are things I like in it. I think like the original story, I've never read it, but you see like there is good world building behind it. I think that the idea of like your magic is personal to who you are and the writing for this this character Lewis it's there like I think the idea that like he's obsessed with like dictionaries and words like of course a writer came up with this character right but th- there's something yep. to that and they, they find there there are clever you know ways t- to like make magic work in this world that don't feel too like they don't really encumber anything I think there are just some mishaps with like a lot of the execution, like how things get set up and how they get paid off. A lot of it is just sort of brushed aside. Um, I think that uh, there is just like this weird artificialness to it, especially to like the way that he picks up magic so quickly. Like on the one hand, I get it. Like I get why he should be so good at it so quickly, but it does sort of feel like what's his struggle. Like what's his, like what does he have to learn in the end? Like some of the character arcs felt a little incomplete because it's almost like, they set up so much in the second act because they're like, okay, and then we're going to do like a few more movies and that's when we're really going to get the ball rolling everybody. And Mm -hmm. who knows, maybe that'll happen. I I think that the, the box office for this is looking to be uh, kind of strong. I mean, not, not amazing, but uh, it it could be a kind of a a humble franchise uh, moving forward. But um, in in regards to all of that, uh, what what are things you like, Will? I mean, what are things that did kind of click for you? Well, I did enjoy the general production design of the house. I mean, I was actually kind of hoping there'd be more time with like the Pee Wee Herman esque nature of like the couch mm-hmm. being alive and just the like puppets. things kind of. Yeah, just things that like I, I thought that stuff was very fun. Um, I, I, I enjoyed all that kind of stuff. It added to the kind of playful horror angle that was going on throughout. And I, I mean, I did enjoy the climax for what it was. I mean, I think. They, it did have a good energy and mojo to it that was, you know, enjoyable to watch. I just kind of wish the build-up to it was uh, more redeemable, I guess. But Yeah, and they actually I, used the MacGuffin to sort of... They, they, one, one thing I did appreciate, sorry to cut you, um, mm-hmm. the idea behind the villains being... Like, they didn't make the villains, like, these this all-powerful thing. Mm-hmm. It really was more about, like, outsmarting and, like, oh, we got to find the clock in the wall. And it was a little bit less, like... You never, like, bought for a second that the Jack Black and Cate Blanchett characters were, like, super weak for no good reason. Like, there weren't, like, plot contrivances like that, so I give the movie credit for its third act kind of being somewhat elegant. And I will say, I mean, I don't know how I feel about it necessarily, but I do enjoy that in a very sort of 80s, 90s way, the ending gets really weird in a way that's, like, fairly unapologetic about it. Yeah, there's some... Whoa. <laughs> Something happens with Jack Black's character that, like, I don't know how I feel about it necessarily, but I'm kind of glad they want that angle just because it's just it's just weird enough where it's like, all right, I'm glad I'm glad you guys like have bored me about this. Like, no, we're gonna have this happen. Well, like, not even just that. I was thinking of the uh, the flashback uh, involving one of the the villain characters. 
uh, there's a, a moment where I was like, this is in a kid's movie. <laughs> and, um, yeah. I was kind and of, uh, I kind of like in this movie. Yeah. Too. Yeah. A little like, bit. Oh, right. Satanism. Which we should say, like, I, that's why I don't think, I think if you're like nine and up, sure, this movie's fine for, for nine year olds. Like it's it like you mentioned, like Goonies and Gremlins, like, you know, k- kids can handle a little dark, but definitely not like younger than that. I think like a six year old, five year olds, like that would really disturb them probably. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I didn't really find it that creepy in a way that I think Goonies is fairly creepy on its own. Even like as I watch it now, I mean, I haven't seen it in a while, but from even just like revisiting clips, I still think that movie is fairly creepy. But a little um, spooked during the Goonies there, Will? <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, but no, I was going to say, I mean, I do, like I was saying before, I think if uh, you want to kind of get an introduction to horror and you're at a fairly young age, I think this movie is, you know, a good way to kind of ease your way into it. You know, like it's a good, yeah. like... It's like a good, like, uh, third grader slumber party horror type of movie. Where... Very tween, you know. Yeah. It's that, it's, so. yeah, the Rugrats all grown up characters watching and thinking sure. it's uh, very mature, sure. Are they, like, teenagers in that show? No, they're, they're like, 11, something like that. Really? Yeah. Well, Ashton, this okay. is my childhood we're talking about. I got the details, I got the receipts. That's but all right. boring. So I didn't watch it. Oh, yeah. It was probably boring to you because you just weren't ready for it. Um, yeah, well, Rugrats is funny. I mean, I just remember they were like just having that, uh, whatever. This is way off topic. Go, yeah, well, go, go that's a good season. happy hour for another day. Um, <laughs> there, there are certain seasons of that show that were groundbreaking. But anyway, House with a Clock in Its Walls. Let's give our final thoughts and grades. Um, starting with you, Maverick Hines. Wow. Put me on the spot. Yeah. Uh, no, I think we explained it well. I don't want to ramble on too much about the movie. Uh, I do think it has some merit as, you know, a decently fun movie-going experience for, you know, taking a, a younger spook enthusiast out for a, a fun time. Uh, it's a visually appealing movie, and like I said before, I think Jack Black and Kate Blanchett do a great job carrying it. Uh, for me, it's a B minus. A B minus. Yeah, it's a B minus. Oh wow. And uh, okay, cool. Yeah, I'm. I'm not quite at b minus and i'm more of a c plus on this one i I just i I don't think that it's it it has like a big enough net for me to like wholeheartedly recommend it as a somewhat solid movie i don't know i just i guess a lot of people will just find it very boring and i I just knock this movie quite a lot for the 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 way it directs children and there is one thing that i i'm kind of split about like on the one hand i'm like oh that's cool for kids to see like i know it's the 50s but it is it is one thing for kids to see sort of like a racially diverse school in like you know middle america but on the other hand i'm just like how historically whitewashed is this or disingenuous is this that like white and black students like aren't dealing with segregation and like things like that it's a small thing i get it i get why the studio does it but it does feel a little bit of like historical revisionism to me and i know some people will be like it's a movie it's a movie i'm just i don't know it's one of those like historical details that really just irks me for some reason because it does sort of and it, it's it's complicated it's it's not me being mad or anything because i do like the idea of like kids seeing what their schools look like just in the 50s and that is what like a modern school looks like so i'm conflicted and it's nuanced and that's all i'm going to say c plus and we'll ashton uh okay um sorry, yeah. sorry for dropping that bomb <laughs> uh yeah i was gonna say uh I, um as far as eli roth i'm i'm Happy that he is uh, jumping into something that's like out of his comfort zone. I do think, for the most part, I mean, as far as like toning down his normal like kind of like shock, schlock kind of angle, I think he did that fine. I just wish the movie itself 
was less clunky and a little more organic with his magic. I don't know if it just needed a new lead or if it kind of needed to be better paced. Because there's a lot of stuff in here that feels rushed and then a lot of stuff that feels dragged out. And I felt that was kind of weird. Like the stuff that should have been like dragged out was rushed and the stuff that should have been kind of tight, th- tightly wound was a little more drawn out, which I found kind of odd. But as it stands, yeah, it's like a close but no cigar film. There's a lot of stuff in here I do think works. And there's a lot of stuff here that could have been better, but it just kind of fell short of what it could have been. It's a shame. I, I was actually looking forward to this, and I'm bummed that it didn't really live up to my expectations. But I do think there's an audience for it. And I do think that for a younger audience, it will probably appeal to them just yeah. being what it is, like Harry Potter light or Goosebumps light or whatever, however you want to describe it. So, uh, yeah, I also give it a C+. Yeah, definitely not the train wreck that I was kind of anticipating. So I'm glad to be wrong on this one. It's a little bit, it's a, it's better than that, and uh, glad to see it. I'm glad it wasn't. Uh, I'd, I haven't seen anybody outright hate this film, and I've seen some people like genuinely really get a kick out of it. So glad to see that. Um, but okay, that was that was a very lean featured review, gentlemen. I feel like we really covered it without uh, without missing anything crucial or important. But that's good because we have some really epic mini reviews coming uh right now so i want to start with you will for our first mini review uh let's just get it out of the way you saw mandy and i I have a feeling you kind of liked it what's it about yeah i mean this was a movie that was on my uh fall movie preview fairly high up um for good reason too i mean ever since i first heard about this from sundance and alex billington was talking about it i just knew this is going to be my type of movie uh so i should explain it's um, it's sort of like an ambient, uh, 80s-esque horror thriller of revenge vigilante kind of film with Nicolas Cage at the center, where he is this, uh, woodsman who lives out, like, in this cabin away from society with his girlfriend. They're, like, very metal, just kind of doing their own thing, living peacefully and harmoniously in their own seclusion. And there's this, like, Charles Manson-esque cult going on on the outskirts of town and they um they find something in uh nicholas cage's girlfriend played by andrea oh how do you pronounce her last name there you go uh who who is like a chameleon i feel like every movie she looks like completely different and uh she really blends into her character as well that's real testament to how good of an actress i think she is um yeah they, they see something in her and they really want her to kind of be ingrained into this cult and so they kidnap her uh, in the dead of night, and she rejects their notions, and some very uh, tragic stuff happens. And Nicolas Cage feels t- he is uh, taken to this point of pure vigilant anger to the point where he uh, gets all these weapons and basically just goes out and seeks his revenge. And I won't say more than that, because I-, I don't think the movie necessarily like breaks new ground as far as what it's accomplishing. I think you've probably seen one or two films like it, even though it does go in quite a few directions that I don't think people are going to expect, no matter how primed they are about the film. But I- this is just one of those movies where I just wanted it to be so good. And I was kind of, throughout the whole time, I was expecting it to go sour. Like I was expecting something just not to quite work, like something might go wrong or it wouldn't really suit my fancy or just it wouldn't click and i'd never got that moment i think everything about this was exactly what the movie should have been and exactly what i wanted it to be and it was this rare kind of like oh this is like i just i it lived up to my expectations and i was thoroughly engrossed uh hypnotized and chanted whatever the word might be by it 
Because it, it does, this movie, like, unlike uh, House of the Clock on Wall, it does have this kind of magical spell on you. It kind of, if you see it on the big screen especially, and I'm looking forward to seeing it on the big screen, but if you just watch it like at the dead of night at home, there, it has this like kind of cool wavelength. If you're on it, and it just absorbs you, and it's really, it's a magnetizing little movie, and I don't know if it's going to work for everyone. It's going to be, I don't know, some people don't really dig the first half because they think it's too slow and prodding and whatever. I thought it was a perfect counterbalance to what the second half is, which is a, like what you kind of expect from Nicolas Cage on a Rampage movie. But uh, I think it earns that. I think it really does a great job of showcasing how versatile Nicolas Cage can be as an actor. And I think that's one thing that, especially today, I think gets overlooked is that Nicolas Cage, I mean, he... I don't know if I feel comfortable saying he's a great actor, but I definitely think he's a very good one who can be a great actor. And this is, I would think, is one of his best performances. It's mm. a movie that's perfectly catered to him, and he makes the most of it. There's a scene in the bathroom where he kind of reconciles with what happens, this very traumatic moment. That is, I would say, like, it deserves to be in his, like, clip reel for, like, best acting in his career. It's, he like goes from like these motions of like shock to like, grief to anger to frustration just like deep sadness and it's all in one take and uh it's really just it's an amazing piece of acting and i feel like so many people are just gonna like take that for granted and i hope they don't um but as it stands i would 100 percent recommend people see this film even if you don't think it's gonna be your type of thing i would at least give it a shot um it's not too graphic but it does get pretty gnarly and i love that but I know some people might be a little turned off by that, and that's fine. Um, but as it stands, I mean, this is the most metal movie I've seen since Deathgasm, and I would say it's probably the best like action thriller of its kind since Mad Max Fury Road, and I don't make those comparisons lightly. So I, our listener was saying, why don't I give A ratings? Uh, this is it. This is my A. So, <laughs> First of 2018, huh? And Cinemaholic's History. Oh, wow. You didn't, uh, I guess that's right. You gave Briggs v. Bear an A minus. Yeah. So, yeah, this is an A. I, I'm looking forward to see it again, see if it earns that. But as it stands right now, I think this movie is a masterpiece. I, I really think it accomplishes everything it sets out to do. And I really have no complaints about it. Wow. So, I'm really looking forward. I hope I don't hype you guys up too much. But right, I really right, I've, love I'm movie. waiting to see it because I want to see it with Maverick. I don't yeah, want to. I want to see it. It looks really good. Yeah, and the cool thing about Mandy is like if you I've heard like if you can see it on a on a big screen, if you can see it in a theater, definitely do that as soon as possible. Um, yeah, it's not really playing around here I was yet. Say, is it playing around here? No, but it is streaming on demand, so might be checking that out uh, in the meantime. And if we really yeah. dig it, I you know hopefully I would go see it maybe a second. Oh, time. and uh, before I forget, um, Johan Johansson's score is really really good, and I feel it, it's such a loss that. He passed away just when this movie premiered, but yeah. I do think this might be his best. And I'm not saying it's because it's his last. I do think looking at all of his other scores, as good as they are, this one I think is maybe his like you know his swan song in the absolute best way. Like he he went out on a very high note. Well, you're not alone, Will Ashton. This movie has a 93 percent on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, pretty good average rating too, 7.5 out of 10, just pretty good for Rotten Tomatoes out of 116 reviews and yeah. uh metacritic it has an 82 again very very good so far um that's enough to earn it a universal acclaim yeah and, and I, uh, everything i've read yeah. about the film really is echoing a lot of what you're saying i hope yeah i hope you like it i mean i like i said i would be really bummed if you guys were to set up too high by expectations that you found disappoint you found yourself disappointed but i don't know i had like i said I had, like the highest of expectations for this yeah. movie and i thought they 
lived up or exceeded them. So you can't set you can't you you can't really precondition somebody for being spellbound for a film or being like sure. cage bound. I guess in this case, um, yeah. Some of our favorite films, like I I know for sure, like you, I'll be like, man, I can't believe you like this so much. Um, for me, that like spellbound movie was probably you were never really here. That was my equivalent of like I sure, couldn't. Yeah. I was in that movie's wavelength 100 percent. i couldn't like escape it like yeah. I, I still like i look back on that movie going experience and like i was in like a daze and like when that happens it's so it's a special thing it's it's a very it's a very cool thing it's one of my favorite things about going to see movies is just for the the chance to be to have that very specific unique experience and it's not something that happens to everybody because sometimes people don't go see a lot of movies and sometimes they miss out on these experiences and then other people who aren't even the biggest film fans of all time or anything they become like lifelong cinemaphiles because maybe they have that experience uh, a couple times as they're young or maybe it happens in later in life who knows and so if there, what I'm hearing from you, Will, is there is a chance, a high chance that a lot of people listening can have that experience with this movie, uh, assuming you are of age to attend this screening. Um, she should probably say it, I guess. Uh, but okay, that's Mandy. That's an A from Will Ashen. We should probably play some music or something around this part. I don't have any, but <laughs> it's probably... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I agree 100% with what you said. I mean, that is, that is the magic of the movies. Like, you don't get that experience every day, but... When you get that, you you're, you are reminded why you go to the movies or why we do a podcast like this once a week because right. it's it's truly magical and I, I really do hope a lot of people get the same experience from this movie as I did. So check it out if it's playing near you or if not, check it out on VOD. Well, our next movie is one that uh, Will and I saw uh, this past weekend, and uh, this one is definitely I, I'm very curious because I have no idea what you think of it, Will Ashen, and it's a movie that I really loved. I uh, really got a kick out of this week, and that's Assassination Nation. Um, so this is a... It's being dubbed a black comedy thriller. Nah, I would not really call it that. I'd call it like a psychological action horror, but that doesn't really cover the entire movie, which we've talked yeah. about on the show before. One of my favorite things is when a movie can't be pegged by labels, and that's kind of, in a way, what Assassination Nation is. Uh, this one was written and directed by Sam Levinson, the, actually the son of Barry Levinson. Um, it's yeah. Sarah's Odessa Young, uh, Suki Waterhouse, Hari Neff, uh, the uh, performer named Abra, and quite a few others, including Maude Apatow and Joel McHale and Bella Thorne. And so this one... This one premiered at Sundance. This is another Sundance favorite uh, that played at the Midnight. Um, I know Al- we mentioned Alex Billington before. He yeah. This is one of his favorite movies of the year. I think it is his favorite yeah. movie of the oh, year. Oh, really? I think so. I think he said that at one point. Um, this one comes to us from Neon and Refinery29 and a few others. And I, I really appreciate Neon. I think Neon is always putting out movies that uh, I think are avant-garde and are uh, make you uncomfortable and i don't they don't always click for me um the last one that really did was probably uh green room i think i, I think that was a neon run right no that was a24 oh i'm sorry i'm sorry um, neon was um ingrid goes west was neon um i Tanya was neon um trying to think what else came out recently of high note that was neon but those neon are two that come Demon, to mind for me maybe um no, that was something else, I think. But <laughs> right, right. Uh, that would have been fitting, if only. If only, if only. Uh, I would say that about Ingrid Goes West. I was a big fan of Ingrid Goes West. Um, a bit, little Me bit too. more than I, Tanya, you know, looking back now. It definitely is, yeah. Um, even though I, I, I think I, Tanya is a pretty good movie, I, I think Ingrid Goes West had much more of an impression on me. But that yeah. said... Um, 
So this film takes place in a fictional location called Salem. It's I, it's okay. The, the messaging is not subtle in this movie. No, it uh, is not. It is not, and it, the, it, there's a point to it. But yeah, it is a fictional location, and basically, a bunch of people in this town get all of their search history hacked. Um, and it starts to ruin people's lives. People's secrets start to get exposed to the public and just all hell slowly and also quickly breaks loose. And at the center of it are these four best friends um, played by Odessa Young and Suki and Hari and Abra. They, uh, they're four best friends who, you know, really just they're very indifferent to what's going on, a little bit irreverent, but also kind of uh, looking at the situation and getting sucked into a black hole of chaos and in violence and just unapologetic action. This is the kind of movie that starts with some like voiceover narration. So you kind of feel like, oh man, it's almost like a YA sort of thing. And it quickly gives off this impression of like, no, the movie you're about to watch is highly intense, um, very much going to be offensive. Uh, and there's trigger warning. Tri- I was going to say, yeah, there's a whole a montage of trigger <laughs> warnings that's in the trailer and it gives you a pretty good rundown of some of the most, like really some of the, like the most glaring edgy, like shock yeah, just, value moments that happen throughout this movie. Watch the trailer and you'll yeah. see what happens. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, I adore this film. I, I think that it is, rough around the edges but i love it for that i think that it's it's epic it's a long movie and i think the whole thing is both cathartic and um powerful at the same time like there, there was something challenging about it there was something that made me feel like i was getting really plugged into the pulse of like what society feels like right now it it doesn't it just doesn't pull its punches like i respect it so much for going all the way with its premise and um for obvious reasons, people have compared this to The Purge, uh, all the Purge movies. And, you know, people that I, I, I know that some people like still like The Purge movies a lot and like this one. Um, I think one, one critic in particular is Candace Frederick. She loves this film, but she, she doesn't hate it on The Purge. She thinks she puts these on like the same level. My only disagreement is that I just don't see the, any of The Purge movies that I've seen at least um, really pushing this premise all the way. Um, so that, that's where I'm at. I'll talk more about it, but uh, well, Ash, I'm really curious to hear what you have to say. Yeah, so I saw this last night, um, and I was talking about it with um, my friend who I saw it with, and I'm glad we're going to be talking about it now because I'm still—I think I'm still digesting it. Like I'm still trying to figure out exactly how I feel on it. I don't at this point in time, I don't know what grade I'm going to give it, so I'm going to kind of figure it out as we go along. Don't you love it? Don't you love it when a movie just kind of that that's kind of part of my love for it is I was kind of in the same boat like right after seeing it. I was like, I don't know if I hated that or loved it. And I don't know. I love it when yeah. movies do that. Well, I'm neither. I didn't love it, I didn't hate it. Um I think it works. I do, I agree with you. It has the courage of its convictions. Uh, I think that's safe to say. It, it it knows what it wants to say, and I think it says mostly what it wants to say. I don't know if I agree exactly with everything, how it exactly says what it wants to say, if that makes sense. I think so, but it's tough because we can't get into specifics. Okay, so (laughs) I'll I'll dig into stuff I do like. Um, I think the performances across the board are really good. Uh, The main actress, is it uh, Odessa Young? Young? She's fantastic. I think this is one of the best performances of the year. This is a great showcase Um, for her. Yeah, it's a tremendous performance. Trying, it's um, rivaled only by Hari Neff, uh, who plays Bex, who is the transgender yeah. character. Yeah, she's great, too. And I kind of wish the four central dynamic characters were given more 
to do because those two characters are well developed but the other two friends i don't really know anything about them like who they were or like not much about them besides some kind of off-color jokes is really developed yeah yeah i think that's part of the point though is that what i like is that the movie isn't trying to like pretend like everybody has like a full character arc in this like you do sort of see like these are the two characters who are kind of at the center of like more focus is put on them and the other characters are really just supportive friends who kind of get caught up in this and i thought that that was a little bit true to life like not everybody has like these crazy wild um you know things going on in their lives because then it probably would have made this movie feel in my opinion a little bit too clunky and a little bit like it's trying to do too much almost that's not exactly what I'm saying, but I think we're kind of on the same page here. I, I think, uh, so it is fair to say, like you're suggesting, the movie is very meta. It, it talks about, like, if this were a movie, so-and-so, which I find kind of grating, but I get what it's trying to do, and I don't think it's the worst example of that kind of trope. But, um, yeah, I, no, I, I think I disagree because I think the movie, you know, it leads up to, like, this isn't really a spoiler. It says, like, how, like, this is how, like, a coal town, like, wanted to go on a murderous rampage against, like, four teenagers, and you're kind of seeing like that like bond, and I think if they had developed those other two characters, uh, that would have made the bond even stronger. Does that make sense now? Like I think, by, yeah, I guess like, I guess we don't we don't disagree that like it could have been stronger. I guess I guess I just was very taken by the moments they do have where they're all just sitting around like no, talking like to each moments. other. I yeah, it, it's it's very like. When, whenever there are a lot of shots that spend a lot of time just focusing on all four of them just like bantering with each other and i guess for me that was enough to really buy them as like best friends who'll stick together um but i see what you're saying i see what you're saying in the, the idea of like if you could have had maybe some subplots or something that between certain characters so you have a little bit more of an investment in like each one i definitely think that's a pretty fair criticism because there are moments where you're like what's that character's name again <laughs> well yeah. you don't have that problem with the really the two main leads Especially considering that uh, Suki Waterhose and uh, Odessa Young look fairly similar to each other. Like, they have very similar kind of appearance to each other. Or maybe that's just me. I think that's just you. Really? I don't know. I, I thought they, they both... I mean, you I guess just think both all white teenagers in Salem look the no, same. No, no, don't put words in my mouth, please. <laughs> um, I, I think it's more just because they didn't really develop Suki's character. But uh, as it stands, I mean... I, oh, and also I want to say, I think this is the first time Bella Thorne has given performance that was decent so <laughs> that's one way to put it uh it is it is something um yeah I mean, she's and not like, that much but i mean she's not but she makes it count you know the, yeah. the moment that she she has one moment that really sets like there, there's a scene involving her that really sets the tone for the second half of the movie and a part of her performance like kind of halfway into the the first act really just it's it's a perfect setup to an emotion the movie wants you to have um which is like one of like conflictedness and, and things like that so i i would say so she's also in um that babysitter movie on netflix right yeah she's yeah i don't think she's that great in that i didn't either, see but, that yeah so i wasn't sure what, what you thought i mean it. she's a little better in that but yeah. anyway I, I don't mean to make this the put down bella thorne now but <laughs> um anyway and i was to say i mean joel McHale, he plays against type very very much oh yeah um i'm actually kind of surprised he took on this role uh considering his brand but i mean he i mean he took a risk i'll give him that uh um i don't know i don't really know how i feel about that performance on the whole but uh i think we're i so this is where i'm kind of getting like uh, conflicted i guess i think it's well directed i think there are a lot of well shot moments i think the acting is great um i really like the way the movie looks and i was 
script throughout where I, I I just feel like the ending was very rushed, I guess. Um, I was waiting for that big, you know, moment where like they go against the town. I was kind of hoping that'd be like the second half of the film. And there's a moment with involving a shovel where it seems like, okay, this is the moment where things take that turn. You know what I mean? Like it takes like, okay, now we're going in that direction. Which, but it doesn't. I mean, it, it goes kind of does. back. I don't know. I feel like it you're faulting it back. for taking its time, though. And I, yeah, that's interesting. No, no, no. Well, here, hang on. What I'm trying to say is, it, it there's that moment that, like, a organic, there's that organic moment where it could make that turn, and then it goes to the point where, like, it puts women in like a very like in danger a lot, like a, basically a montage of women in danger in these horrific situations. And a point where I, I start to wonder, like, is this too much? Like, I think it, by that point. It kind of made that point already, and maybe, I don't know, I, I guess this is where I'm kind of having the conflicted feeling. I guess that's like, where we disagree, because I don't think it had me that point yet. I think that, because I honestly, Will, I was having that exact sensation where I was a little bit like, when are we going to get to the part where the, the the righteous indignation? I was waiting for that, and I felt like it was taking too long to get there, but I think my the difference for me was like when it ended, I was like, that's exactly the way it needed to go. It had to sort of bring you all the way down to like the all is lost moment almost, in order for me to fully appreciate what exactly happens. And I get what you're saying that it, it isn't sort of this like furious 30 minutes, like cathartic fest. But I think that that was a little, that's kind of what I think I needed to see. Not exactly what I wanted to see because it was a little bit more, I don't think the message was that like these, these women just spending 30 minutes, like making you feel better about how you feel no. about this movie. I don't think that that would have been good. I think that that would have been, not having the courage of its convictions. And sure. so I, and it, I think it's wrapped up in like the, the scenes that do kind of take its time to get you there are. So there's a one shot in here or one take that uh, I thought was at That's first, great, I thought yeah. it was gratuitous. And then I was like, this right. really the way it's is done selling me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very, very impressive. I mean, like the way they shot that was very impressive yeah. as, uh, from a directorial it, standpoint. I was continuously like impressed by, some of the like stylistic decisions with this, like there were just some very good, like there were just some really innovative directing techniques that I was kind of taken aback almost by how many times in this movie I was like, man, this is like a really cool trick, like that you don't see a lot and you definitely don't see it executed in a certain way. Like um, certain characters um, overlapping certain scenes, um, some split screen moments and like, like just really, just really good moments that are worth analyzing, and um, that, that, that's all I've really got on that. I, I just, I think the movie does work, but it did. I think it it takes a lot of work to get onto the movie's playing field, and so I don't, I don't look at this movie and say like, if you don't like it, you're ridiculous or oh, anything like yeah, that. I think it's, it's polarizing. I think people are going right. to hate it, and that just makes me love it all the more. Sure. I mean, generally, I do agree with you, and I, I will say, yeah, it's it's not for everyone. I I don't think this is the type of movie that's going to appeal to everyone. I'd say, like we said before, watch the trailer if you think that's not my thing. It's, yeah, it, there's no shame in that. I mean, it's it's definitely not going to be a film that's going to make everyone happy. So, uh, but yeah, I guess uh, I'm thinking as I'm talking, and so um, I just I don't know. I still that that third that third three fourths mark is still where I feel like I don't know if I really agree with how they approach that. Especially the way it lingers on, like the violence of women. I just, I get, I know it's what's trying to do, and I know we're going to get to that point where they, you know, rally up and take it. I just don't, I, I just don't know if it was really worth like seeing like twenty minutes of that. I don't mm. know if I, yeah, I just don't. Think I, I get what you're that. saying. I totally get what you're saying, and I, I literally had the same thoughts 
Um, so I, I don't fault you at all for right. feeling uncomfortable, not uncomfortable, but like sort of It's not about feeling uncomfortable. It's about, I mean, did it need to do that? Right. Like, to accomplish I, its goal. That's more what I mean. It's like, you're, it sounds more like you're kind of questioning, you know, the, like the way the camera like lingers on certain scenes and the pain yeah. of certain characters. I totally get that. Um, yeah, and I, I I think we can leave it at that. You know, I I think that this is a movie that you can't really have a full opinion of just a couple of days after seeing it. Um, sure. I have a feeling that you and I might be talking about this movie in a, a year from now completely differently. Who knows? Yeah, which which makes it a success. I mean, that ultimately is a sign of success. If if I'm still thinking and talking about this movie, uh, you know, past the day I've seen it. I mean, I saw a movie that morning that I was telling John we'll talk about next week, but. I almost completely forgot about it, and this <laughs> movie right. I won't be forget. I won't be forgetting about this movie. So that's a testament to Sam Levingston's sophomore film. But yeah, I don't. I even though I'm going to grade it, I don't know if I am like cementing that grade. But this is um, such a good example yeah. of like what you were saying, though. Like the discussion around it is much more important than the grade. Right, hundred percent. Sure. Yeah. So um, you give your grade first, and I'll, I'll kind of come yeah. around my grade I'm on. I was a B plus on this. And then the end credit scene has a message that is just so just perfect. There, There's this whole statement that the movie makes about art after chaos that I thought I was like, yeah, this is an A minus. I think it's a must see. Now it's a must see with the stipulation that I think it's something that everybody should go see. I don't think it's something that everybody's going to or um, I don't think it's something that everybody's going to see. And I don't think it's something that's appropriate for everyone. And I think there's a big difference between those things. I do think though, that if, if you really are looking for a cultural watershed, this is it. And I also think that this movie's, um, uh, how do I put this? I, I just, I guess I just think that I, I want to make it clear that when I saw the trailer, I was very hesitant to go see this. I kind of wasn't sure that this wasn't going to be my bag because I'm not quite into the like gross out stuff. Not that this movie is all that graphic or anything like that. But yeah, the shock value. The shock value stuff, it's not something that always really works for me. So I kind of, opposite to what you were saying before, really, I, I wasn't kind of going into this being like, yes, this is what I want. This is my most anticipated movie well, of the year. Well, that's not how I went in. Right, but, sure. Uh, <laughs> But I think some people are, and I, I think that uh, I just want to be super clear that the trailer didn't sell me. What sold me was word of mouth, and I'm glad it did because that was what got me on into it, and I'm glad that I did. And it it, it took some work, but I kind of got to this movie's what this movie was trying to do, and so I'm I'm a minus. And then what about you? Will? Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I think I basically agree with your general thoughts on the film. Um. And I will say, uh, I don't know. I mean, I. I do have to wonder, though, uh, if this was directed by a woman, if it would have worked better. I don't know for sure, but there's a part of me that wonders that. And I, I don't know if that's uh, I don't know. I mean, that's just me speculating. I don't know for sure if that would have made it better. I, I have to imagine it would because I think it would have been better about like making some of the stuff more sensitive, but also driving home that same point. But I don't know. Um, as it stands, it. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of this book I'm reading right now. Um, I'm reading Chuck Palahniuk's Adjustment Day, which is also kind of tackling these very relevant discussions in a way that's like, if we're led to anarchy, like how does that happen, and like what, what, who is right and who's in the wrong, and um, it's it's definitely an interesting conversation. I'm I'm glad we had this conversation, and I'm glad that this movie provided it for us. Um, I I do think ultimately because of that, I'm going to give it a B. I think it accomplishes what it wants to do for the most part. And I think it's a movie that is worth seeing. And I think a lot of people are going to uh, get something out of it. And it's certainly understandable why this was like the big, uh, like the one that got like 10 million 
on Sundancer. Like someone paid ten million dollars to acquire this film, mm-hmm. a bidding war and all that. Like it's definitely a film that um, it's very much in the now. It's very much a film that's tackling very modern questions and very relevant stuff. Uh, whether it accomplishes everything it wants to do as well as it could have, I don't know. But I I think it was worth seeing, and so I feel that a lot of people are going to get a lot out of it. So yeah, I feel pretty comfortable. I think right now saying a B. All right, that's a B from Will, A minus from me. Uh, go check it out and let us know what you think of it. I'm I'm very curious to keep hearing what people think because I'm always fascinated by just the just the difference of reviews, and uh, I love it. I think that you know it is one of those movies that I feel like I'm going to learn a not I'm not going to I'm going to learn a lot about it, um, not just from seeing it again, but also really studying how people are reacting to it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's why I, I, again, really love this conversation because I think that uh, it was interesting to me how you and I had a lot of the same moments, a moment of thoughts uh, going on, especially in that third act. So that's really cool. Okay, that's Assassination Nation. Uh, this next film is Life Itself. Um, well, I, we, don't, we don't got to spend a lot of time on this. I know Maverick wants to get to Bojack Horseman season five. Oh, that's yeah. me. <laughs> I'm like threatening you from across the table. <laughs> Hurry up. That's right. But uh, yeah, I mean, the movie came out and I think it, it, we, we should we should definitely mention it. We should definitely give it its due. Um, I haven't had a chance to see it. I have a feeling I probably shouldn't, but I'm probably going to anyway. What is it? And uh, what's it about? What's up? Oh, boy. What's up? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so... Um, so this is, uh, the sophomore film from writer director, Dan Fogelman, who, uh, he has a pretty, you know, established career at this point. He's actually, um, as a writer, he worked on Bolt. Uh, I think he worked on Tangled. I think he was involved with Cars 1, maybe Cars 2, if Mm -hmm. I, is that right, John? Um, I think just one of the Cars movies. Yeah. So he, he's involved with Disney and then as a screenwriter, he established himself through, I think Crazy Stupid Love was probably his, like big calling card as a writer and then as a show creator that came that success came from um this is us the nbc program which has received uh, no shortage of accolades uh it's very you know it's it's a melodrama through and through but it seems like a lot of people would like it or uh find themselves you know weeping at its uh emotional prowess yeah before uh, before I, you go on sorry i just want to be super clear so i double checked uh he were, he was a writer for Cars, yes. Um, he helped a little bit with the story on Cars too. That's why I don't think he was really like a credited writer, especially because yeah. that film had so many changes following up. So I just want to make that super clear. No, thank you. Um, yeah, I think he also did Fred Claus and License to Wed. Did he have Four Christmases? Or maybe I'm just thinking of... Um, I don't think he did License to Wed. I don't see that here. Uh, he did... Okay. So I have it all here. He did Cars, Fred Claus, Bolt, Tangle. These are all writings. Um, Crazy Stupid Love, The Guilt Trip, Last Vegas, and he produced Me and Earl and the Guy- Dying Girl. Uh, he directed and wrote Danny Collins. Uh, as you it's mentioned. a good movie. Uh, Danny Collins is a Haven't good seen film. It. Uh, yeah, it's actually one of uh, the better uh, Twilight period uh, Al Pacino movies. Huh, that's interesting. Uh, at least as far as his performances. I've concerned. I've always wanted to see it because I know Ryan Adams did the music, and Ryan yeah. Adams is just you know my guy. Yeah. I mean, it's like a solid B movie. Like it's like B B minus. Like it's not. Not like earth shattering, but it's it's well done for what yeah, it is. It's on the list for, for um, uh, uh, Al Pacino. But anyway, so we we all build up to this movie, which is I think the antithesis uh, the antithesis of um, the self involved like I, I hate this use word, but fairly pretentious writer who like has like these big grand ideas. Literally, the movie is called Life Itself. Right. Which and he has this blank check. That's Rob, Roger Ebers. Uh, 
Yes. Which makes me mad about this movie because that's a great documentary. Yeah. Uh, and now I have to be like, no, 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 not not the the movie with Olivia Wilde <laughs> or uh, Oscar Wilde, whatever. Or Oscar. Oli- I mean. You had it right. Uh, um, uh, well, yeah. Olivia, it, you have Olivia Wilde, Olivia Cook, Oscar Isaac. <laughs> so you got some similar sounding names there. Yeah, uh, big cast. Mandy Patinkin's in it. Uh, Antonio Banderas. Um, yeah, my a lot of people in this movie. Annette Bening. I just show you like. Um, so anyway, that's my main point. Like, it's this big movie. Like, it's this blank check, basically. Like, he has like Keegan's like he has this leverage in Hollywood where he's like proven himself as a writer. Mm-hmm. He uh, has proven himself as a showrunner and stuff. And he's like, okay, what's your big idea? He's like, well, strap down, listen to this. <laughs> uh, and so I don't even know how to describe this movie. I, that's kind of why I'm going around it because I don't. The the plot of this movie, it's like so hard to like say what it is without getting into outright spoilers. But I guess the best, most general way I can describe it is uh, so there's Oscar Isaac and uh, Olivia Wilde, and they met in college uh, and they formed a relationship together. She's pregnant, like basically nine months pregnant with their child, and like everything seems happy. But there are these therapy sessions with Annette Betting where Oscar Isaac is like bearded and very depressed. Um, he went to like therapy, and it's like something happened. Like what happened between them? And uh, I can't say more than that because it's. If you've watched This Is Us, you know, like, a lot of stuff's going to, like, uh, kind of go back and forth in time and stuff, and we're going to figure out the answer, and it's be- very twisty and turny and stuff, and as it's going on, there's also Olivia Cook, who is the uh, daughter of um, Oscar Isaac and uh, Olivia Wilde, uh, like, 21 years in the future. Kind of inspired casting when you think about it. Yeah, it, they, do, they do quite a bit look like what their child would be, I guess. She does look like... Uh, the child, I guess, of Olivia Wilde. And she and, has uh, the acting skill that I would expect as the daughter of Oscar Isaac great. and Olivia Wilde. Yeah, uh, and also, like, I, it's, I don't even know if I can really say more, but Antonio Banderas is also, like, this other subplot. Um, I can't really say because it, it gets in the spoilers. But, um, yeah, so it's, like, these kind of, like, three things are covering over each other, kind of the same, like, This Is Us. I haven't really watched the show, but from what I know, like, there's, like, these three hovering subplots, and they, they do mingle together in this fairly contrived, convoluted way. Uh, as it stands, I, I really don't know if this is going to appeal to anyone. Like even the audience of this is us, I think is going to be turned off by this movie because it's very, uh, front loaded, I guess. Like it's very much like, this is like going to be the most important movie you've ever seen. Like this kind of like mentality, like this is like, this is bold, imaginative filmmaking and you are going to be in awe of its grace and I, I know it's not saying that directly but that's how it feels like it's like that kind of like very masculine like like that um, I think that's right the guy who uh, is a showrunner for um, in, in Bojack this season for Philbert it feels like that guy is directing yeah, this movie <laughs> yeah flip. it feels like the movie flip would direct if he was given a movie almost uh, feels like this that. movie exists in the Bojack universe <laughs> yeah it definitely feels like that and that's not to say anything about Dan Fogelman, who I think I think actually is a fairly sweet, good-natured person. But for the sake of this movie, like that's just the impression I get from yeah, watching Yeah, you can't this deny that his work has had an impact on people. I think This Is Us is a kind of a cultural, you know, like monument Man, right but, now. Yeah, yeah. Like, it, people yeah. love that show. Like People have had yeah. visceral reactions to that show, very positive ones, I should say. So. Mm-hmm. We, should, we shouldn't, yeah, diminish his work. Or like yeah. the the effect his work has had has had on like current audiences. So yeah, I guess basically imagine like the plot of like one season of This Is Us like scrunched into a two hour film, and then that film is essentially uh, Amoris Porius, uh, the an Ingaratu movie. Have you seen that one, Maverick? 
No, I don't or, think uh, so. Sorry, sorry. Um, have you seen it, John? Amoris what? Amoris Boris, this first movie. Um, it, my Spanish is not good, but um, A-M-O-R-E-S-P-E-R-R-O-S. Uh, Amor Peros. Okay, there you go. It's that Amor film. Have you not seen that film? No, I haven't seen it. Oh, it's really good. You should check that out. All right. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. Anyone should. I mean, it's a really good movie. I, if you, especially if you like, you know, Birdman and um, The Revenant, uh, which I don't. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> well, that's anyway. That's the thing. You know that I'm not a big fan of Inaritu. So, like, I, really? I, yeah, I, I do like um, the cast. Like, I think Gael Garcia Bernal's in this, and obviously, yeah. I loved him from Coco. But yeah, this this movie just has never been on my radar. It, it came out, you know, like when I was like. Like what was this? Like early two thousands? Probably yeah. It's, yeah, I, I, it's, I don't know. It's a movie. I mean, but if you say it's, if you say it's great, maybe it's the United Two movie I'm gonna love. I don't know. I mean, it's not like his other ones in the sense that like it's not like like wizardry like uh, camera work and stuff like that. It's very grounded and like emotionally focused. Oh, uh, so it chooses substance over flashy style. I'm in. Oh uh, yeah. Sorry. But anyway, you know how, so I, feel. You know how I feel about that, Birdman. <laughs> yeah. So basically, imagine that movie directed in the style of this is us and that director is an alien who doesn't know how human emotions work and he's like how do we make people cry they cry when really sad stuff happens so just do a bunch of really sad stuff that doesn't really make sense like like how this happens yeah it's sad so that'll work and it's like well i need someone who actually knows what filmmaking is so he gets that burnout guy who's like 20 and like keeps talking about um tarantino movies at parties so flip he's like yeah, so like, hey, you, can you help me like polish the script out? Like, sure. Can you talk a lot about Quentin Tarantino? You know, he's like the master of cinema these days. Like, okay, sure, we'll put references to that. That's that's something that people can relate to. And Sam yeah. Holland is going to listen to this and get so mad at you, Will Ashen, because. <laughs> well, I Sam... mean, I'm not disrespecting Quentin Tarantino. I'm disre- disrespecting. It sounds like you're disrespecting Quentin Tarantino fans. I'm sorry. I mean, well, <laughs> I'm I'm talking about a very specific Quentin Tarantino fan. To be sure, clear, sure. like yes. Just the one who's like who like watches like five movies a year and two of those are Fight Club. <laughs> yeah, I think that clears that, it up perfectly. Thank you. Yeah, that guy. He he helped write the script with the alien and they were making Amoris Boris with uh in the style of This Is Us, and that's what life itself is. And I can't say more about the plot, but just watch it because it's insane. Like it's like it's a it's a crazy movie in the sense that like you think that this is what people want as far as like a melodrama. Like it's not I don't know. I I'm just gonna give it a C minus. I can't say more. I, I'm talking. <laughs> this movie really got to you, Will. I, I, it just sounds like it really did had an effect, or like not a good I one. I just feel bad because I have to keep talking around it because I can't talk about this. Yeah. Like, like even if I talked about like five minutes into the movie, it's a spoiler. So yeah, I I can't say more than that. I feel bad because like he actually uh, Dan Fogelman is from my area. I think I mentioned this last week. He is like literally in the suburb I'm from in Bethel Park, and my aunt was like his babysitter and stuff. So he's like. He's, he's like a homeboy, and like I wanted this movie to be really good for that sake, but it is not. So you're and, shilling for Dan Fogelman. You would have given this movie an F, but you have to give it a C- minus uh, because he's your friend. Okay. I, the reason I give it a C- minus is because I think Obviously, the acting I'm joking. Is, I, everybody, but, <laughs> I said I just well, want to get very obvious. I'm joking. No, but I think I should clarify because like I think the acting is generally really good. Like I think Antonio Banderas in particular is very good. Mandy Patinkin's very good. Olivia Cook, as we were saying, is very good in this film. Um, I just wish the script was better and that it wasn't so um, uh, self-grandizing, I guess. And yeah. so, uh, yeah, I, I mean, but I kind of want people to see it, just see how crazy it is. It's definitely, I mean, the comparisons that have been made is that it's this year's collateral beauty slash book of Henry. And mm-hmm. I think that's apt. 
it's, it's like this like movie with a bunch of celebrities that like it's meant to be like this big tear jerking crowd pleasing awards film and it's not going to be that it's just very miscalculated and misguided and uh it, i think there's going to be a sick pleasure derived from that but at the same time um i i don't know if i could recommend it on the merits of it being a good film in any stretch of the imagination so that's life itself. Well, once once again, Will Ashen, you're not alone. Um, it's uh, 13% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, only 80 reviews, though. Uh, average rating is 3.8 out of 10. <laughs> and yes. yeah, 21 out of 100 on Metacritic. Definitely. Uh, most of the reviews I've seen have said that it, it just is kind of amazing how the movie is so overwrought, yet at the same time so underwhelming. Overwrought is a generous word for it. Yeah, I saw your tweet about that. So that's yeah. life itself. Uh Let's let's move on quickly. Oh, that was a that was a tough one. It sounded like it was, it was tough for you to review, but uh, let's talk about BoJack Horseman, uh, season uh, yeah. five. <laughs> we we brought it up last week. We hadn't seen all the episodes yet. Will I think you're still a couple episodes away from finishing the fifth yeah. season, so we're not doing any spoilers. No spoilers or anything. But uh, Maverick, you know, when we talked last week, you had seen like what most of the season. Now you finished it. Mm-hmm. Where are you at with BoJack season five? I mean, uh, you could. Just play the recording I said last week, and it would work just as good here. Um, and I mean that like passion, like that's a good thing. And okay. in this because the show is, uh, I was telling John, I think right now, and this might be a bit of a bold statement, but right now I think BoJack is for me, um, like at this point in this time of my life, what Avatar: The Last Airbender was for me when I was a kid. Hmm. As far as like, it's it's tackling things and it's saying things for me, right? And, and it's it's helping me go yeah i do hate that or i do like not like that this is happening and like i didn't know that that was bothering me this much or i didn't know that i was passionate about this or i didn't know i felt this way or processing this way or and i think that says a lot about a show um if it can help you voice things creatively and if it can help you feel things that you might have a hard time feeling right i've been watching a ton of emotional movies this week so i've been kind of on a roller coaster but bojack is the staple and 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 i really i just love this show and i'm so happy that i'm watching it and i wish i was 500 episodes long so i didn't have to stop after one <laughs> yeah. day of binging it, it's the typical bojack formula right where yeah. the midway episode is the very innovative one that everyone's talking about there's the political episode that everybody's like talking about from that lens. And then the there's the finale stuff episode. that nobody's talking about because they don't want to spoil anything, but it, it's the one that kind of goes bonkers. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of curious because I've been trying to think of like where I see this fit in with the other seasons. And I have a feeling this will be one of the seasons that's looked at as the most underrated. Like when we look back and we're like all of the Bojack seasons, I think this is the one where people are going to really look at it and say, that was a really good one that doesn't get the credit it deserves almost because it isn't quite as flashy. Like it's an innovative was, episode. Yeah. I was just going to say, t- I, think, a, I think the content's just as important and just as hard hitting as it's always been. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's definitely not as flashy as like last season, right? Where we get these big dramatic you know he goes to different places and he's doing yeah. saying you know new mexico and then we've got you it doesn't know. have the huge uh plot twist like the yeah. last season does the one that's like really devastating i think this is better than the most previous season but i think it kind of rivals re- season three which mm-hmm. is yeah very impressive so, so will you have a, a no i was just gonna say i think intentionally it's very la central because it's talking about a lot of stuff that's happening just in hollywood right now not only as, as far as like where the entertainment industry is going but how it's reckoning with a lot of stuff so that's all i was gonna say uh, I mean, I can't say anything too definitive because um, I still need to check out those last three episodes. But uh, yeah, I mean, I I mean, Bojack is Bojack. I I can't imagine myself 
I love like not loving it, but I mean, this season I do think is, I mean, there, there are so many episodes in this season that I would consider like in, among my favorites. I mean, three free, uh, free Chiro is I think like top five worthy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and I, I don't know how much my, how much I can say about it, but it's just basically, it's almost like a play. Like it's like two like separate mon like extended mm-hmm. monologues. Um, and just Bojack kind of dealing with like the uh, familial grief of what's going on, just kind of like the sick little nature of how messed up his life is, and um, in a way that's like prophetic, but also fairly bittersweet and well na- well natured and heartfelt, and also very dark and depressing and that's i think it just kind of sums up bojack in a nutshell yeah. uh but yeah i mean there's so much i mean i just watched this morning the halloween episode oh, which that's a good I, one. yeah it's so good um and it's mostly censored around peanut uh mr peanut butter um who uh i sometimes think can get overlooked in the scheme of things like even this season he kind of like with, with the exception of that episode from what i've seen he's kind of like in the background a lot like yeah kinda, like well he gets a lot of good but they they joke about that the fact that he's in the background it's almost like he doesn't exist right. yeah like I mean generally that's like Todd that's usually kind of just like creeping I think like last season that like that was like he's like the kind of central character that was like they didn't really hundred percent know what to do with him at times but uh, yeah this season definitely I think it's really good about balancing out like the core conflicts of every character I, I, at least one episode is devoted to the four or five central characters yeah. Uh, and just exploring their headspace and their lives and just how they're kind of dealing about, with their. Would you say it does for Todd though? In this, I don't think there was one for Todd. I guess that's true. I mean, I, I was think Peanut Butter, that. Carolyn, Diane, and Bojack each have their own thing. Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, he's like Todd's like forever in B plot land. Yeah. Uh, like even to the point where they call that out. Well, no, um, Todd, that Todd does have that. I don't know how much we can say about it, but he does have one episode where it's like half the episode is him. Yeah, he had, but I think even then it was still considered a B plot, yeah, right? Very much. Yeah, I want to say. Oh, okay. uh, you're not talking about the hand one, right? No. Okay. Yeah, I think I know which one you're referring to. But uh, it, yeah. uh, on uh, one last thing, I'll say is that I think Henry Fondel is their best gag character since um, what was his name? The tall guy or the Vincent adult, adult man? Vincent Adult Man. Vincent yeah. Adult Man. <laughs> Quite, quite. Best character in the show. Oh yes. my goodness! It, it still is, still is the best character. But I think that Henry Fondle is just a really, really great rival for second place. Mm-hmm. I was, was I was the, rolling every time they did a they did a whole bit with that character. Which character is this? Um, Henry Fondle. He's the, uh, the. Oh, I don't think you've gotten to because you still haven't finished it. But you've got you've probably gotten to it, but you haven't. See gotten in to like the, uh, the last back few episodes, like at uh, past ten. He's he's showed up by the time you're watching. Yeah, but you, you've seen him. You probably just haven't seen him as what he is yet. Yeah, you'll get there. Oh. <laughs> Sorry for for kind of uh, setting That's your okay. expectations I'll, a little bit. Gives me uh, gives me something to look forward to beyond the promise of more BoJack. Yeah. Okay, that's BoJack Horseman. We we all love the show. We all we all encourage people to to check it out. We've talked a lot about it. Um, one last thing. I, I'm not really going to get into detail, but another Netflix show I'm starting to watch. Maybe I'll talk about it more next week. It's The Good Cop. Uh, this is, and I only bring it up because I want to know what more people think of it. Sorry, what? Is it better than the bad cop? Uh, <laughs> it's uh, better than the good doctor, maybe. Um, not as good as the good dinosaur, but, uh, but not as good as not, the good place, I guess. It's not even close to the good place, the good wife, the I was good say, fight. A good wife, right? Yeah. yeah, all of those are much better. The good cop good. is so fascinating to me, though. So it is a cop procedural that Netflix is doing. 
that you know it, it follows a lot of the beats of the cop procedurals but its cast is the most interesting thing about it the two leads are josh groban and tony danza uh, as a father and son, Tony Danza plays this uh, cop who went to jail on corruption charges. So he's like a dirty cop and uh, he's one of the main characters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And his son, by contrast, uh, is the good cop. He Josh Groban plays this very like teetoler, um, always follows the rules. Just, you know, he he's just like squeaky clean professional, you know, kind of cop where who just views everything as white in the black and white world. And so that's kind of their dynamic. There's a sweetness to this show. There's an interesting format and structure to it. And I think it lives and sometimes dies on the two leads being so mismatched. Um, you buy that there's a history between these characters, and but it's it's so light despite its subject matter. It, it is kind of like that typical cop procedural, but it's very different from what you would see on a network show, which is kind of why I'm still watching it. Um, I'm a few episodes in. I'll check in maybe next week with how I feel. But if you just kind of want a lighter, the lighter fare that Netflix has to offer, something that just doesn't go to any like real extremes, it really is just sort of like a breezy, watch it with your friends and family kind of show. It, it really doesn't have a lot of like difficult subject matter it's not at the same time i don't want to make it sound like it's like full house or something it's not family friendly necessarily but you know as far as these things go i think that uh i I think that it is kind of fascinating to see an actual josh groban performance like this because obviously he's more well known for his singing and yeah the the opening credits are actually kind of innovative and interesting and they they're him singing but you know because he's one of the best singers alive right now. So I would say that, and I am interested to see his talents put into this, and I'm not off board. I'm kind of uh, digging it in a very guilty pleasure kind of way at the moment. So that's the good cap. Uh, If if it sounds interesting at all to you, I I watched it out of morbid curiosity, and uh, I I haven't been been very disappointed yet. I don't think it's a bad show, Um, but I don't know if it's good. So who knows? Okay. Uh, that's all of our mini reviews. Uh, let's close out the show real quick. Next week we have three, we have three wide releases coming out. We have Smallfoot, which all three of us have already seen. Um, Smallfoot is the new animated film from Warner brothers, um, Warner animation group and it's directed by Carrie Kirkpatrick. Uh, we might be having an interview with Carrie Kirkpatrick coming out. Um, the, the plan is anyway, that we're, uh, we're going to be able to do a, a whole interview with the director that we'll be releasing on Cinemaholics. So hopefully that happens and you'll be able to listen to that. Um, the, it's it's interesting because all three of us have seen it and not to get ahead of ourselves not all three none of us have very strong opinions on it so we're still trying to figure out what our featured review is going to be we also have night school which is from universal and that's the like kind of just looks like a lowbrow comedy it stars kevin hart and tiffany haddish and then we have hellfest from cbs films which is more of like the indie wide release which is weird to say um and this is this is gregory plotkin's um like basically it's just like a horror film that I definitely feels right at home for our mini reviews, but yeah. And then we have two limited releases, monsters and men and old man and the gun both look very interesting, but we're, we were kind of struggling a little bit to decide like which movie should we see? Like which movie should we feature review? Um, I think we'll, we'll definitely talk about Smallfoot in the mini reviews, definitely talk about Hellfest. Hopefully we can catch monsters and men and old man and the gun and all that too. But we actually had an interesting idea. Uh, and this is where the listeners come in. We're thinking about doing our featured review. We're thinking, this is Will Ashton's idea. Uh, Will, you suggested, and I think it's a good idea, to talk about Maniac. Maniac is a new show on Netflix. It's a miniseries. It's only 10 episodes long. 
and it stars Emma Stone and Jonah Hill. It's from Kerry Fukunaga, and I'm very interested. I've waited to watch this, and we're thinking maybe that would be kind of an interesting thing to talk about next week because it just sort of feels like the sort of like entertain piece of entertainment that we'll have a very interesting discussion around but yeah. it would be a little different than what we've done before so if you're listening and you we want you all to weigh in uh, let us know in the comments we're going to be doing a patreon poll your opinion really really matters to us we want to make sure we talk about the thing that you guys are most interested in all of you uh and that's all i really have to say about that uh anything to add will ash yeah i mean of the central like wide releases i think maniac has gotten a lot more chatter than any of those and i think that warrants it being discussed maybe more than these films but i'm happy to talk about small foot if that's what the listeners want or yeah. night school or hellfest i mean i don't i didn't really know much about hellfest but if that's what the listeners want then we'll give it to them whatever that's they right. want that's right and remember if you are a patron that means we, we pay special close attention to what the patreons uh ask for so uh and if you're interested in any of that you can always go to our show notes there's links to everything there but uh with that let's close out the show i i think we're ready to Leave it up to all of you to vote. So uh, if you love Cinemaholics, you want it to continue, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Hang out with us on Facebook and Twitter. Links to our social pages are in the show notes. Our Twitter has changed because we're no longer with – we got this covered. So uh, make sure uh, you check out what our new Twitter is. It's it's the same Twitter, but it's just like a different handle. So like the, the links don't work anymore. But we've already changed all of our episodes to have the right link now, so it should work. And if you have any questions, feedback, anything you want to uh, send our way, email us anytime at cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. And with that, uh, from the Internet California, I'm John Agroni. From the Internet Pennsylvania, I'm Lashin. From the Broadband Basement, I'm Maverick Hines. See you next time.